Thank you, Brother Dave, for that. It's very fitting, as we will see. Um, good morning, everyone. Let's uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to be reading ver- chapter 5 and verse 6. I was contemplating on not reading the whole portion because of lack of time, but I'm reminded of the words of Mark Hartley. Nothing else will be said up here with more value than the Word of God itself. So let's read the Word of God together. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon, and when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. It, the, the head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left to it. Therefore, neither do the priest of Dagon nor, nor any uh, nor any who come into the house of Dagon tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us and Dagon our God. Therefore, they sent and gathered themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark, the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. And so it was after they had carried it away, and the hand of the Lord was against the city with very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, with tumors broke out on them. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And so it was when the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. Send away the ark of of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a great, uh, for there was a, a deadly destruction throughout all the cities and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called on the priest and the diviner, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it uh, to its place. And they said, If you send away the ark of, of, God, of the God of Israel, do not send it away empty, but by all means return it with, with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will, it will be known to you why, why, his hand, why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? 
And they answered, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the, uh, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make the image of your tumors and the image of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall, you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will listen, he will lighten his hand from you and from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When, when he did mighty things among them, they did not let the people go. Then that they may depart. Now, therefore, make a new cart. Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart, and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in the chest by its side, and then send it away and let it go. And watch, if, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done this great evil to us. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so, and they took two milk cows, uh, two milk cows and hitched them to a cart and shut up uh, and shut their uh, the calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the image of their tumors. And the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest. In the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the ark came into the field of Joshua of Beshemesh and stood there. And a large stone was there. And so they split the wood of the cart um, and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was that was with it in which were the articles of gold, and put them on a large stone. Then the men of Beshemesh offered a burnt offering and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron that same day. These are the golden tumors which, were, which the Philistines had returned as a trespass offering, one for Ashdod, one for Geza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the numbers of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which, which stone remains uh, to this day in the field of Joshua of Beshemesh. And the ark, verse 19, it says, Then he struck the men of Beshemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. And he struck 50,070 men and the, uh, of the people, and the people lamented the Lord had struck the people with great slaughter. And the men of Beshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And whom shall it go up from us? And to whom shall it go up from us? And so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up 
with you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning as we meditate and contemplate upon this portion of scripture. So just to uh, bring to your mind, to refresh your mind where we are in the narrative of this book, right? Our brother Mark did a phenomenal job last week in chapter 4, and he, he pointed out how the children of Israel took the Ark of the Covenant, the very throne of God, right? And they trivialized it. They said, why have, we, why have we suffered such defeat, they said. And the elders got together, and they put their heads together, and they put their own wisdom together, and said, oh, I know what we're going to do. Let's go call the Ark of the Covenant to be, to be brought back into the camp with us. And that, that, that when it comes to us, when it comes to us, it says, it may deliver us. What a sad thing. What a sad thing it is to trivialize the living God. To make the living God a lucky charm. Brothers and sisters, I, I know it was said last week, but I'll, I'll say it again. It, it, it's a sad thing, brothers and sisters, when we in our Christian walk lose the essence of the presence of God. We lose the essence of the reality of God in our hearts and in our lives. It's a sad thing on an individual level. It's a sad thing to see it in, in a church itself. For when we lose the, the essence and the presence of the living God in our hearts and in our minds, coming here, sitting on a pew, singing some songs, saying some prayers, is nothing but futility. You're no different than the pagan and their rituals and their nonsense. When there is no presence of the living God here, then there is no reason to be here. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They have got lost their way so much that they, they, they did not know the living God. And they try to put God in a box, right? They put God in a box. You know, a God in a box where you can take Him out when you need Him. You know? When things get tough, you take Him out, you get on your knees, Lord, I, I really need that promotion. I really need a job, Lord. I really need a car. That's not what God wants. That's not what God wants. God's not a genie in a bottle. And even though this Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the, of the presence of, the, of, of God Himself, that article of gold saved no one, did it? And we read that it was taken by the Philistines. And so we pick up their story here. The ark of the Lord is in the hands of the Philistines. And I need to say something about the Philistines first before I get into it. Because these, these Philistines are unique in Scripture. They come up time and time again in Scripture. And the Scripture and the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Scripture. Describes them in a very specific way. And this title is unique to only them. Over and over in Scripture... The Holy Spirit calls the Philistines the uncircumcised Philistines. There's a lot of, a lot of ites, Hivites, Amorites in Scripture. None of them gets this title of uncircumcised Philistines. And there's a lot that can be learned from that. Because it tells us about the character of that culture. Number one, the obvious thing is that they were uncircumcised. In other words, they weren't of the Abrahamic covenant, they weren't of the tradition of circumcision. 
They were set apart, right? So, in a sense, they were the opposite of the Jews. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, if we had time, we don't have time. But if you go back to Genesis there, when Abraham made the, the Lord made that covenant with Abraham, right? I should say. So, Abraham, this is going to be a symbol to you and to all your generations of this covenant between me and you. And what was that covenant? Well, the covenant was that the Lord was going to bless the nations through Abraham. And, and, and the symbol of circumcision was that, Abraham, the strength of this covenant is not in you. It's not in your flesh. It's in me. And you see, the, the, the Philistines, the uncircumcised Philistines, is the exact opposite of that. We get a glimpse of what they're like. These men were all about strength and wisdom and intellect. You, you, you recall yourself, if you rely on strength, you must have some very strong men with you, don't you, right? And we all know the story. Uh, there's that great behemoth of a man named Goliath. Massive man. Carried a lance to the, the height of a telephone pole. Oh, it exemplified the strength of, of flesh, isn't it? If we go back to chapter 4, when, when the ark of the Lord came to the camp and the, and the children of Israel cheered and, 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 and cried, what did, what, did, what did the Philistines do? Wow, there's a God in the camp. What do we do? What do you do when the living God is in the camp of your enemies? Well, the smart thing would be to run. No, what do the Philistines, the Philistines do? They said, listen, Philistine men, man up. Man up, they said. Man up and, and be men of Philistines. And they were. They were quite men, were they? So you see, these, these Philistines were, were, were men of strength. And, and, and they, they sought for strength in the flesh and wisdom in the flesh. And that's what they signify to us. And here is all that, all that the flesh has to offer with the ark of the Lord. And what do they do with the ark of the Lord? They put it. As a trophy piece in the house of their God, Dagon. Now, I won't bore you too much with details about Dagon, but Dagon was just uh, an idol. Uh, historians would say he's the son of Baal. Uh, he's a half-human, half-fish god. Um, half-fish because the Philistines came from this, the ocean side. They, they, they were coastal people. Um, but they put it in the house of Baal, I mean, of, of Dagon. And they go, they, 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 they put it there, they go home, they go to bed, and they wake up early in the morning, and they go and they find their God. The God which they came to on a daily basis and bowed down and worshipped. The God which they, they prayed to for a good harvest. The God who they prayed for, for a good catch out in the ocean. The God who they prayed for, for good, good results in war. There he was, bowed down, face to the ground, before the ark of the Lord. Now I ask you a question. What do you do when your God falls on the ground? What do you do when your God falls flat on its face? Well, I mean, you can imagine, right? All, all these Philistines standing around, uh, and there's their God on the ground, and they're, they're scratching his head, one guy's rubbing his beard and saying... 
I think we could pick him up. Yeah, yeah. Four of us, we can get him. Well, what do you do when you got falls down? You, you pick him up. You pick him up. Saints, it's, it's, it's comical, isn't it? it it's, it's just almost juvial. I, the next day, they come. After picking up their God and bowing down and worshiping to Him that day, they go home, they go with the next day, and there is their God again on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Except now, there was some damage to their God. He had no head. He had no arms. It's interesting how the Lord speaks to this world. You know, their God, which they bowed and worshipped, and they, they esteemed things like strength and wisdom. What happens when your God's head is lobbed off and there is no wisdom in him? And his hands are cut off and there is no strength or power in him? What do you do? Well, you can see him again gathered around looking at him and saying, Well, if you help me out, we can put his head back on and stand it back up there. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. It's a sad thing. This morning, our brother took us to Psalm 115 and gives that great description of idolatry. Psalm 115 says, the Gentiles say, where is your God? And we gladly say, our God is in heaven and he is sovereign. But what is your God? Your God is made with hands. Your God is made of gold and silver. Your God has a mouth but can't talk. Your God has an eyes but can't see. Your God has, your God has an ear but he can't hear. He's, they're powerless. They're dead things. The writer would say, those who make them are like them. In other words, they're dead. It's a sad thing, isn't it? Idolatry is a sad thing. and I, We look at it and we giggle and we laugh at it. But saints, I tell you that idolatry is prevalent today. Yes, we don't have a temple. And we don't have graven images. <laughs> but we do have idols. And, and they don't have temples, but they do have network channels. Whether, whether, whether you bow at, at, the, at the idol of sports, there's ESPN for you. And the 24 by 7. And if you don't have ESPN, not enough. There's Fox Sports, NBC Sports. There's all kinds of avenues for you to do your worship. With politics is your, is, 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 is your idol. Well, there's plenty of uh, altars to, to go there as well. Now, let me pause and say this. Some of those things, those things in themselves are not bad. Those things in themselves are not evil. They're not idols. It's what you make them. Now I say to you, what happens when your idol falls on your face? Do you pick them up? Do you pick them up? Something to think about, right? Because sometimes we, we, we begin to rely within ourselves and we begin to lose confidence in the living God and we begin to rely on ourselves and what we know, whether it's a job, whether it's our finances, the way we manage our finances, whether it's, whether it's this government, whether it's this country, whatever we begin to trust in more than the living God. And these things fall flat on their faces. Do we recognize what we've done? Or do we go, dust off our little idol, and pick him back up? What do we do? Saints, I tell you, I, look inward. Hey, my idol is not your idol. We each have our own vices. We each have our own shortcomings. The, 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 what is an idol? 
Anything that, that, that comes before God, anything that, that, that we want with all our heart, anything that we can't stop thinking about, right? And all those things, as much as we enjoy them, as much as we, 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 we can't get away from them, those things will fall. Do we pick them back up? Or do we recognize our fault before a living God? Let's move on. I love verse 7. When they recognized and they realized what had gone on, right? Their, 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 their guy was being harshly treated. And the Lord would press his judgment against the people in, 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 the, in the land of Ashdod. Look at what the people said in verse 7. It says, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us because His hand is harsh towards us and our God. That's a sad statement. Number one, they recognized that the living God was the source of their trouble, was the source of their suffering. But yet their heart was not just on them, but was on their idols. You know, I was thinking about that. And my mind went to this young man I used to work with. I, a long time ago, I used to be a security guard at the nuclear power plant down in Homestead. And in it, we worked different, we worked different uh, posts. And we were with people for an hour at a time, sometimes three hours at a time. So we, we got to talk to a lot of different people just because we had to pass the time. And there was this guy named... I'll just say his last name was Lenza. And I was talking to him about my testimony. And he says to me, he says, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I, I even went to, as a young man, I, I went on missions trips. I preached the gospel. I passed out tracts. He goes, but I, I no longer do those things. And I said, Lenza, why? What, what happened? He says, you know what? It was too hard. He said, it, it, it was just too hard to keep up the facade. It was too hard to, to, to try to be so good. He goes, and the other thing too is, because I hope you don't take offense, because I, I just love my way of life. I, I love gambling, he says. I love betting on sports. And, and I know God frowns upon that, but you know what? I, I just can't give it up. He echoes these words. He, I weep from him sometimes when I think of him. Here's a young man who, who grew up in, in, under the word of God. At least I hope he did. Must have had some experience of the living God. And when a push came to it, he said, Oh, it's, it's, it's too hard on me, and it's too hard on my God. I, 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 I needed to get it away. A sad thing, isn't it? And so the ark of the God was moved from one place to the other, right? The intellect of men and the wisdom of men, right? The ark was in Ashdod, and they, the Lord was harsh with Ashdod and its territories, and the man said, It needs to move on. It moves on and goes to Gath. The same thing happens in Gath, right? The same exact plagues that happened in Ashdod happened in Gath, right? It's also an interesting point to consider, right? The very things that the Philistines held as first, right? 
strength, and wisdom. We're toppled down by two little things. By a little mouse and a little virus. And some of the greatest men are the greatest wussies when they're sick, aren't they? I know I am. You can just ask my wife. If I got a flu, I'm, I'm just a whiny little baby. Taken down by a tiny little micro. In the most delicate of places, the Old Testament, or the uh, King James would say. And the Lord pressed them from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron. Right? I, the Philistines, in their, in their wisdom, I guess, didn't want to give it up. They saw what happened in Ashdod. They said, well, maybe it won't happen over here. It happened over there. Let's send it to, to Ekron. And the Ekronites said, oh, no, don't bring him over here. Don't bring the God of Israel over here. They're going to kill us. And what happened? Exact same thing happened. And after seven months, seven months of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord being in the land of the Philistines, they finally said, okay, we need to send it back. Seven months of the living God showing himself to them. They finally said, we we want nothing to do with them. What a sad thing that is, isn't it? And so, of course, in their wisdom, the Philistines and their, their, their intellect and their wisdom and in their brawn, they gathered together all the elders, got all together, all the priests and the diviners, the smart people of the, of, of the group. Right. What do we do with this ark and how do we send it back? Well, the diviners got together and said, well, if you're going to send it back, you can't send it back empty handed. There has to be a trespass offering. Now, I, I, I pause to point out that the fact that they knew such a thing as a trespass offering points to the fact that they knew that the reality of what sin is before a holy and righteous God. A trespass offering. Now, as, as juvenile as their trespass offering was, and kind of comical, they understood that sin needed to be dealt with. And, and I'm baffled because... The living God was with them. He showed Himself to them, not in the way they wanted to be wanted to see Him. But when push came to shove, they realized their sin, and then they turned from Dagon and turned to the living God. No, they didn't. They didn't. They, they, they still wanted their vices. They still wanted their idols. They still wanted their way of doing things. The way of the world. So the intelligent men in the crowd say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do an experiment, right? All, all, all the young people here, you were in school. You, actually, even the older people, you were in school. At least I hope you were. And, and you learn about how to do an experiment. If you do an experiment, you have to do things methodically in order to get a good result, right? And I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a cart, not just any cart. We want a brand new cart, right? We want a brand new cart so it, it, something with an old cart, there could be something wrong with the old cart that can... Ruin the results of the experiment. So we want a brand new cart, right? Then one with good, a good cart with good wheels on it, right? And then we're going to take two milk cows. And more specifically, we want two milk cows that have never been yoked. Meaning two milk cows that have never been taught how to pull a plow. Okay? All right, well, I'm with you so far. All right? And then we're going to take their young. Remember, they're milk cows. They must have just had a calves. And we're going to send them home. Okay? And then we're going to hitch up the cart to the cows, put the ark of the, of the covenant of the Lord on the cart, and put the chest of our trespass offering next to it, and we're going to see what it does. I don't know. 
Say what you want about the Philistines. They're pretty smart people. I mean, let's think about this, right? You take two cows, two milk cows, who've just had a calf, and they're in milk. And you take away their calf. What do the cows do? Just the basic instinct of a cow is to run towards her calf, right? I'm not a farmer. I I know very little about farming. But what I'm told, if you take a calf away from its mother, the most kindest and sweetest of cow becomes the meanest and ugliest of cows. Because everything in that cow desires to be with her calf. Secondly, if you take a cow that has never had a yoke on it, let alone two of them, and you put a yoke on them and you tie them to a cart, the chances of them walking together in one direction is nil. Zero. Not going to happen. So the Philistines devised this plan and they got their cart. They put it together. They grabbed the two milk cows. They, 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 they hitched them up. They put everything in the cart. They took their calves and they took them home. And they said, listen, here's our test. If these calves... Go straight towards the territory of Beshemesh. We have irrefutable evidence that the God of Israel did this to us. But if they, if, if they veer to the right, veer to the left, go back, we know it just happened to be bad luck. Bad luck. And we, we read the story, right? These two milk cows never been yoked with a cart on their back and the living God behind them walked straight didn't veer to the right didn't veer to the left it says they lulled as they went straight along the highway to Beth Shemesh you know you wonder What was the reason for that test? What did that test tell the Philistines? You see, they followed the cows. They followed them as they went all the way to the border of their land. And they saw the cows go directly. What did that tell them? These cows who, who, in the recess of the bovine mind, all that it told them to do was to go back to their calves. All that, that, that their mind and instinct and their nature told them to do was to go the other way. We're walking together in sync directly towards where God wanted them. What did it tell the Philistines? There's a force greater here than nature itself. God revealed himself to the Philistines again. And yet we read they went back to Dagon, didn't they? But back to these cows. They forgoed their natural instinct. They forgoed anything that they knew to be good and true. To follow the, and obey the living God, their creator. And these cows would, would carry the ark all the way into the territory of Bethshemesh. And there in the valley of Bethshemesh, the, the, the wheat harvest was, on, uh, was time. And the people were... were, were Reaping their fields, and there they see, afar off on a cart, the, the ark of the living God coming back to Israel. Not by the might of men, but by the might of two cows. The men take this cart, 
They take the ark, they put it on, on a stone, they take this cart, they break it apart, and they take these two cows, and they offer them up to the Lord. And I say to you, look at these two cows. Are you jealous? Are you jealous of these two cows? I am. I hope you are. For if I could become a cow, and I could pull the presence of the living God back to His people, and be offered up as a living sacrifice for His honor and glory, no greater honor can any man have. No greater privilege can any man have than to bring the living God and the presence of the living God to His people. These two cows had more sense than Hophni and Phinehas, didn't they? These two simple cows had more sense than the two priests of Israel. These two priests had the privilege of leading the people of the children of Israel in worship to the living God. They could have gathered the people around the Lord Himself and led Him to His glory and His presence. But no, what did they seek? They sought their own natural instincts. What they wanted. The best part of the meat for me. What my heart's desire, that's what they gave. No sense, did they? Absolutely no sense. What a shameful, shameful thing that is. One last thing. We read thereafter the ark was returned. And those cows were sacrificed and they worshipped and praised the Lord that day. That the people of Beth Shemesh got a little curious. You know, it, the Ark of the Covenant was with the Philistines for seven months. And here it is now. And the men of Beth Shemesh, here they have the Ark back. And they got curious and they said, you know what? I've, we've never seen it. Let alone we've never seen inside. And the men lifted up the lid and looked inside. And the Lord struck them. The Lord struck them dead. Why? Yes, the Ark of the Covenant was ultimately just a golden box. But it represented the presence of God. It represented the throne of God. And the men of Bethshemesh in their Simple curiosity and foolishness made mundane the things that are holy. And they looked inside. And what was inside? Well, more specifically, the two tablets. The two two tablets of stone in which God gave to Moses to to, to be the the law for the children of Israel. It, It depicted the holiness of God. And that holiness had to be upheld. That holiness had to be uh, upheld. And, and no one was to enter into the presence of God. And if they were, only once a year was supposed to happen, right? We learned about this on Friday night. The, 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 the Day of Atonement, the high priest was allowed to go in once a year, and he would have to go in there with very specific terms. Only the high priest would have to go in, could, can go in. And second, he'd have to go in with blood. With blood. 
And these, these people did not, they were neither the high priest and neither did they have blood. And the holiness of God had to be upheld. The holiness of God had to be upheld. And they were struck dead. The words that they cried out, they said, The people lamented because the Lord had struck them. And the men of Bethlehem said, Who is able to stand before a holy Lord God? You know, this world thinks they can approach God in many different ways. They can approach God in their terms. I tell you, working with the living God can be a dangerous thing. It can be a dangerous thing. You know, one example I can give you is electricity. Now, if you want to know about electricity, you can ask Jason Renth what, what, what happens with electricity. <laughs> he can tell you a good story. But you see, electricity runs in these wires. We don't see it. We can't smell it. We can't touch it. Now, if you know anything about electricity, if you don't treat it right and you don't know what you're doing, it's going to shock you. It's going to get you. Right? So there's got to be a respect there. There's got to be a fear there. Right? Those who work with it have to have a fear and respect of it. Now, that's just electricity. That's just a simple force that God placed on this, on this living earth, that God created. Now, imagine working with the creator of all things. Working with the living God himself. If a simple physical energy like electricity scares you, I tell you, the living God should shake your knees. Now you may say, well, Jamal, by the grace of God, by, by, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I may boldly enter into the into the grace. Amen. Praise the Lord. You're absolutely right. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, we may boldly enter. And because we have such a great high priest that goes through the veil... Can we boldly step into it? But I tell you, don't enter into the, don't boldly enter into the presence of God nonchalantly. Yes, we enter as sons, but we also recognize that there is nothing within us. We recognize that we are feeble before a holy and righteous God, and the only reason we're there is because His Son died for me. And He is a holy and powerful God. And the only way to access His presence is through His Son, through His High Priest, and through His blood. Let us never forget the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. May the Lord bless His Word this morning. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, Lord, we praise you, Lord, that you would look upon mere men and you would desire to dwell with them. The idea is baffling, Lord. The idea that the God who upholds all things, the God who created all things, the God who breathed life into humanity, the holy and righteous God seeks to dwell amongst men. Lord, we recount there when you came down on Mount Sinai how the earth quaked, the mountain trembled, Lord, at your presence. 
and the people could not bear it. Yet, Lord, you saw it fit to send your son. And he didn't come in the same form, but he came veiled in flesh, in lowliness, in humility. And he was handled by men. And he allowed himself to be a sacrifice, a propitiatory sacrifice for the sins of this world. That we may have communion with you, Lord. What a marvelous that thing. What a marvelous thing it is, Lord, your salvation. To be redeemed to our Creator. Such a thing as wretched sinners brought back to thee, Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you for your, your salvation. Lord, I ask all these things in such precious name. Amen. Perhaps we can sing.